2: Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tine, your go-to Newcastle United podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. Coming up on this week's episode, we're going to look back at the draw v Wolves on Saturday. And after the sad news of the passing of former club captain and manager Glenn Roder, we'll be looking back at his time with the club. Chris will update us on all the important injury news as we look ahead to yet another can't-lose game at West Brom. And the quiz returns, and this week, I'm asking the questions in a European special, and they are especially devilish. Here we go. Chris, George, how are we doing, chaps? Chris, how are you? Are you all right?
3: I'm really angry.
2: I'm
3: really, really angry, too. I'm angry, angry at every single means? listener out there, and I'm angry at every single Newcastle United fan for creating the toxicity Why? around the situation, which is apparently put Newcastle where they are, according to Peter Crouch. True. They're not in the stadium, but it's their fault.
2: Yeah. There is, there is only one set of fans in the world who could create toxicity by not being at a game of football, and that
1: is us, isn't it, George? Absolute madness. Do you know what's happening through 5G? This is like <laughs> 5G technology. So all Newcastle fans are getting really <laughs> angry at their club, and it's getting sucked yeah. up into... I think this is how it works. It's getting sucked up into lampposts, and then it's being beamed to St James's Park That's through 5G and coming up through the electric system they use to keep the grass green and you know i think that is the peril of 5g so you know don't say we haven't been warned and don't say that we don't give you massive conspiracy theories yeah it's a load of bollocks is isn't it really it's just a load of bollocks. absolutely chris is very angry can I, can I can i tell you the real reason why chris is angry is because he's um cut himself shaving and he's got a massive plaster across his chin wow and i've insisted yeah i don't know how he's done it i think he's shaving with a spoon <clears throat> <laughs> and um, I've asked him to send me a picture, which he very foolishly has done. So I might at some point put that out during the week when we plug the show.
2: Lovely stuff. That sounds great, Chris. Chris cutting yourself shaving, Chris? Are you fourteen? What's going on?
1: Rather than the usual sort
3: of, you know, you, you, you go sort of up, up to down on the on the face. I, for some reason, went horizontally across the part of your chin where there's, I and I just cut. Off, there's, a, there's about an inch and a half of skin has just come off, and I, I looked down, and the whole of the sink was just what? blood red. So uh, yes,
1: I, I. I said to Chris, "How does he do that?" and He says, "Sometimes I'm shaving and I get bored." <laughs> just it's just like ask... how can you get bored? It takes it takes two minutes, and it's like the one time <laughs> in the day when I'm not going to get bored is when I've got like a potentially lethal weapon in my own hand. <laughs> Good lord, sh- cutting my own face. How can you get bored? He just wants shaving? to add a little yeah, bit I of went, excitement to ha- into the daily shave, doesn't he? That's what it is. <laughs> I, I went out grouse shooting and I got a bit bored, and that's why I blew off my own bollocks. <laughs>
2: Oh, outstanding stuff. Well, lads, we've got plenty to get through. But before we jump in, I need to fill everyone in on the latest offer from the Athletic. Right now, you can subscribe the Athletic for a special price of three ninety nine a month for six months. That's forty percent off the full price of a subscription. You'll enjoy great analysis and in depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad free versions of all of the wonderful podcasts as well. Have we got any articles out of the minute,
1: chaps, that could tempt people into a subscription? Well you get shaving, you, you get shaving. T- tips for free let me put you put it that way um well on a
3: uh, in terms of looking at newcastle's current situation i have uh, done a piece basically uh, quite fatalistic really on the fact that newcastle's kong score goals without the front three who are now all absent so that's a very joyous read for you but equally george and i did a piece uh, over the weekend sort of looking at if and when newcastle have under Mike Ashley, have made decisions over managers, so at the point where they are basically forced into making a change and have looked into historical examples, used statistics, really looked in-depth at those situations. And then also, um, I also wrote uh, basically a tribute to to, to Glenn Roder and trying to debunk this myth that... that ignorant people have that, that Newcastle United only Newcastle United fans only want Geordies and they'll never accept mm. anyone else and sort of yeah. just just trying to 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 explain why Glenn Roder is cherished so much amongst Newcastle fans beyond the fact that when you speak to everyone he was just an absolutely lovely bloke.
2: Wonderful stuff. George, what about you? Anything from your end of things?
1: Well from that um from that chris uh piece piece chris uh talked about about sort of looking at historically when mike ashley's newcastle sort of take decisions and when they don't Mm. take decisions is the more is the more kind of pertinent point the 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 fact is that um you know ashley is often talked about as a gambler but at newcastle what he often gambles with is doing nothing i mean that's a gamble in its own sense knowing when to ride um and there was we used a quote from Lee Charnley at the start. I hope people are starting to realise now that when we feel we have the right person in that position, talking about management, indeed any position, our focus is on supporting them in order that together we can ride through the rough periods that inevitably come. And that was from a few years ago, but it does sort of show what um, what their sort of opinions are. And I think that's it's always useful going back through, through stuff like that. It was uh, around that quote, there was a, yet another... Um, moment when Charlie talked about communicating more and that hasn't happened uh, either um the other thing uh, that i worked on last week um was uh, i helped alan shearer with his uh, with his mail box special which was quite fun there was lots of um lots of newcastle in there talking about uh, his his scrap with or near scrap with roy Keane. that was kind of quite fun um to to various other bits and bobs obviously including his concerns about uh, about Newcastle relegation, and also his favourite biscuit being chocolate hobnob. It's a good dipper, it's a, solid, a cracking it dipper, dip that biscuit. biscuit. Yeah.
2: Lovely stuff. Uh, well, yeah. so get yourself over to theathletic.com forward slash pod on the tine to take advantage of the special 40% discount and check out all of those articles and all of that interesting stuff that George and Chris have just told you about. That's theathletic.com forward slash pod on the tine. Right, chap, shall we move on? Let's have a little look back at the Wolves game. So, Wolves one-all. What were the odds at? It uh, it's always a one-all game that one. But before we talk Newcastle's tactics, our producer has provided a clip from the Athletics Norwich City podcast, which might signify a bit of a worrying trend. Here's Ben Mounter on the
3: Canaries midfield. To bring it back to Skip and McLean, how they've performed and how that midfield double pivots works is one of the most interesting talking points this season.
2: Well, Chris, what do you think when you hear that? Double oh, pivot. Wow.
1: That I hate everyone in the world right now. <laughs> do you... F- surely you feel vindicated? Well, I do feel that I I, This is your great... Oh, ta- Or this bullshit has spread to another podcast, that's why. This is your great tactical... <laughs> this is your great... this is your moment. And it's... 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 It's, it's being grasped by other people. Double pivot in
2: midfield. How did we know we were in the midst of tactical genius here? There's a double pivot. Incredible stuff.
1: Wow. Chris, it's your time. Listen <clears throat> Wow. So proud of you. So proud of you. I did not see that coming no, I have to be honest. I didn't. I just thought he was taking <laughs> shit yet again, but there you go. <laughs>
2: Well, speaking of talking shit, um, we had a bit of confusion at the weekend with substitutions and stuff like that. The system, all that kind of stuff. The Wolves game, uh, it wasn't particularly pretty, was it? Newcastle went one up uh, through Jamal LaSalle's and then were pegged back via a Ruben Neves header. Chris, what did you think of the game in general? Dubravka was back. The system seemed to be the same as what it had been in the past. But injuries and what have you uh, really scuppered Newcastle's chances of going away with the three points, didn't they?
3: Yeah, well, there's a strange thing about Newcastle now whereby they are actually quite the games are now quite entertaining to watch, particularly if you're in neutral. I mean, that we went through such a long period where relatively eighteen months. Relatively. No, I, I think I, certainly first, I, actually, I've been relatively entertained by the last few games, well even more than relatively on certain occasions. <laughs> Um, isn't
2: which, that a line from the film Gladiator? Are you not relatively entertained?
1: A ringing endorsement, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but surely this relativity—it's a bit like being punched in the face repeatedly, and then suddenly, you know, you know, you're not being punched in the face anymore, and so that for that that feels great. But really, that doesn't mean your life is wonderful. It's just you're not being punched in the face anymore, so you feel incredibly grateful to not being being repeatedly punched in the face. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I cover you, New- I cover Newcastle United professionally, so I expect that you're still covered in bruises, Chris, or in your case, one and a half inches of skin is missing from your chin because you're in of a But, but it's not. I mean, yes, it was, it was good. But I mean, wo- sorry, and I don't, I'm not trying to interrupt you here, but wolves were also terrible, and wolves are always terrible in the first half. That's something else to say. Yeah. But was it? I mean, it wasn't like... It's not Barcelona, is it? Well, it's not Barcelona, but it it was still... There was a...
3: You could see the way that Newcastle were trying to play, and it was was interesting that they had... The system was the same, but it, it had been tweaked slightly, and so... Shelvey had moved to to be in the midfielder. Hayden had moved side of the left. I think it benefited Shelby. Who I thought played well. I don't think it benefited Isaac Hayden. who I didn't think played as well and wasn't uh, as as pre- uh, much of a presence. But Miguel Moron certainly first well first thirty minutes was was excellent again. I thought was and and we saw glimpses of sam Maximan. Obviously the two players who were getting. I don't know who Newcastle. I'm not going to see any more of for the rest of this month at least. The, I mean the the issue the issue with the they're playing better and they are looking like creating opportunities. But they, they can't <laughs> score goals. They just they just yeah. cannot score. And we always knew that was going to be a problem with Wilson. Almiron had an excellent opportunity where I think he should score. And some people say he's unlucky. And I can see where they come from. But he's two one-on-one. He should score. Joe Willock should score when he's set up. By and the, yeah, management.
2: the chance that Maxman put in and was offside. Yeah. Joe Willock definitely should yeah, score should. there. And then, and then Joe 100%. Linton should
3: score during the second half. Again, people are saying it's unlucky. And yeah, possibly. But he puts the ball in the one place the defender can can keep it. I mean, the defender, how it doesn't go in, I have no idea. But the defender, it's the, yeah. it's literally the one place where the defender can get to it, and he does. So all of the... And, and Alan Shearer spoke about this the other, the other day, I think it was on Match of the Day, where he said he's, he's got to put it low. Proper striker puts that low. You make sure you, t- you take that opportunity. And so Newcastle had chances, yeah. and they did not take them. First half in particular, first half an hour, and I agree with George, Wolves were terrible. And, yeah, apparently they are like that every week. For, uh, why... I have no idea, but they seem to always start games slowly. They seem quite happy to just grow into it. And Newcastle, like against Manchester United, didn't take their opportunities in the time they had them. And eventually, they were punished. And and yes, I know that they took the lead during the setting off. Very good header from Jamal LaSalle. But in the end, they were sort of hanging on for that point. And that was, the, that was the constraint. Yes, injuries affected the match and things like that. But at the end of the day, Newcastle now, in the over the course of the last few weeks, they've played Sheffield United away, lost. They played yeah. Leeds United at home, lost. They played Crystal Palace at home, mm-hmm. lost. They played Southampton at home and won. So that's the one team in the bottom half that managed to win. And they've played Wolves at home and they've drawn. So it's like at some point, who who is it they actually are going to be capable of beating? Because that is when you look at the fixtures coming up, and obviously the massive one on Sunday. That is the concern. Who is it they actually yes. going to start? See, Bruce can say all he wants about improved performances or whatnot, but the actual improved performances, some of them are coming against teams that Newcastle actually need to be beaten, and they need to be beating them now
2: those improved performances really do need to turn into points, don't they? And, and Newcastle struggled uh, at times on Saturday, although there, there was a little bit more attacking intent in the first half, like you say, but we struggled to deal with uh, Adama Triore's pace and power uh, down that right-hand side, and, and uh, Emil Kraft got himself in all kinds of uh, states trying to keep up with him. I would imagine if somebody sort of, Fired a greased up missile at you it would be similar to having a Dharma triori run at you. You'd absolutely shit yourself, wouldn't
1: you, George? He's like, well, Lad. I'd shoot myself just being on a football pitch, full stop. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, you see, I can run, I can run, I can run all day. You know, I've run marathons. I can run, I can run in a straight line. But if you ask me to deviate from that straight line in any mm. way, shape, or form, I'd be absolutely, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be no good at all. So, somebody who's moving side to side in a kind of vaguely quick fashion um i'd myself
2: yeah the the, but, the sight uh, of the uh, sight of a trainer lubricating up triore before the game it does, was amazing slightly, that, slightly it. disconcerted it was, me almost it, <laughs> it was
1: it was uh it was kind of it was brilliant um saying that but i mean no i i i agree with everything chris said i mean i suppose the thing about the improved performances i mean so this has now become a sort of thing and you know we've we've we we talked so much last season about the way Newcastle playing not was not sustainable and yet they were sustaining it and suddenly it then you know I think I think everything reverted back to sort of the norm and those performances weren't picking up points then they weren't picking up points this season and so that that unsustainability stopped I think the improved employment performances though are important because i just don't think newcastle would have got anything out of the games they've got without this attempt to to get further up the pitch because they've also forgotten how to defend i mean that's another thing that's um you know that's worth worth mentioning that a team that that was sort of known for being uh very very solid can't defend anymore so you know without the improved performance i don't think we'd have got the win over everton and i newcastle certainly wouldn't have been in a got themselves in a position to beat Southampton um albeit with nine men on the pitch by the end so I think the improved performance is important I mean God knows what happens next because without those attacking players um it you know it it sort of raises so many so many questions about about what Steve Bruce does and how, how we handle it I know we'll come on to this towards the end of the podcast but but um you know so I, I think that's sort of important context though for the improved performance because I just don't think I mean Newcastle had to find a way of winning games because they weren't they sure as hell weren't doing it beforehand so I think that has been sort of important um you know I' come away from that game feeling feeling pretty flat really um because it felt to me like that was a game Newcastle had to win um I mean, just to sort of set down a marker to Fulham in the end, that wasn't necessary perhaps because Fulham Fulham drew the next day. But um, it feels, you know, it's, it's feeling bleak again, really, I think.
2: Yeah. Martin Dubravka came back as well into the team, didn't he, Chris? And what was what was your opinion on his performance? Obviously, he replaced Carl Darlow, who hadn't done an awful lot wrong, um, but we all agreed last week that he was probably in need of a bit of a break. Um, and, you know, the the... the did Steve Bruce throw him under the bus a little bit with his comments after the game? And and obviously Dubravka made a great save as well towards the end. What was your what was your view on
3: that? Well, Steve Bruce, at the course of the space of five days, seems to have alienated both his goalkeepers in different ways. He by does. It. yeah. First of all, how it came out that that uh, that the change was being made, and my understanding is, yeah, there was some frustration from Carl Dalo and other senior players about maybe how that was handled. But also, yes, I mean Dubravka thought for most of the game maybe it wasn't didn't come through on TV I don't know obviously I was at St James's Park but I thought he looked nervous at large points, I think whenever the ball came near him uh, mm. he, he didn't seem to know what he, exactly he was going to do distribution wise um, then yes he probably should do better for the goal although we'll get on to that because I think there's quite a few people who should do better for the goal including probably the coaching Absolutely. staff and everyone else involved in Newcastle United but um, then he makes the, the fantastic save in injury time I don't know how much he knows about it but he gets himself into that position to make sure he saves yeah. it and obviously that, that that made ensured that Newcastle had got a point I, I, I agree I do think it was just about the right decision but um, equally Carl Dollar as we as you discussed wasn't the the problem with Newcastle and again that wasn't the problem the keeper was not the problem so much at the weekend it wasn't mm. just his fault that the goal was, was conceded in the end he, he basically ensure they got the point towards the the end of the game and i i mean that that goal was it it was almost like a car crash rain how many <laughs> I, I, I as soon as it. as soon as matt ritchie came on i saw he walked across to isaac hayden and he said something hayden sort of shook his head and then didn't read really, it only sort of jogged a few meters and then sort of stopped and didn't go anywhere and suddenly you were thinking well who the heck is playing right back now And subsequently, it turns out, apparently, they seemingly were trying to move to a five-man defence or at some point they moved to a five-man defence. I mean, Jamie Carragher's analysis of this was very good on on, on Monday Night Football, when he sort of went through exactly step-by-step what happened because I didn't see all of that necessarily at the time. But later on, for the the rest of the game, I was still trying to work out whether Hayden was a right-back, whether he was a right centre-back, where exactly Jacob Murphy was. I still have no idea where Matt Ritchie was playing. I cannot tell you where Matt Ritchie was playing when he came on. Absolutely no idea. Um, no, not a clue. But that, that, that confusion, obviously we've seen this before. Steve Bruce's first game in charge, Jetro Willems comes on initially in centre midfield and gets switched to, to left wing back, Newcastle concede. Then also there was a game a few matches on where Isaac Hayden comes across the touch sign and basically says what well, what's going on asks a question as to where everyone's meant to be playing and it seemed that this sort of problem would come out but Bruce came out afterwards and said oh yeah we need to improve this sort of communication it's, like, it's an empty stadium it's an empty yeah, stadium yeah. How, how that sort yeah. of situation arose um, just sort of it, just sort of typifies the real issues Newcastle have at the moment, and just seems that there are a lot of problems.
2: I thought it was interesting in that Carragher um, that Carragher analysis of that situation that he kind of he took the blame away from the coach and from Steve Bruce and and Graham Jones and put it onto the players and said that the players should have organised more quickly, Matt Ritchie should have got his message across better and stuff like that. But unless you're down at pitch level, you don't really know what was said, do you? Um, and and also. Isn't, isn't, isn't it really the responsibility of a coach to make sure tactical messages get passed across onto the pitch in a timely manner to make sure that the team are set up for whatever comes at them? Uh, it, it's not the players' responsibility to do that. They, I mean, obviously, they share responsibility, but but really, it's down, that's down to the coaching staff to make sure those things are, are getting done properly,
1: isn't it? Yes, I mean, I mean, I think it is their. I think it is their responsibility. I think you make a good point about the stadium being empty because you can't sort of really make the claim that, you know, in the heat of battle these things get lost because there's no because because yeah I didn't hear because there isn't there's no noise, so um, and I suppose you know what you want from your what you what you want from your coaches is a is a very clear is a very clear straightforward plan and straightforward instructions about what to do having said that the coach could do it and then the player not not pass it on efficiently I mean that is if the player if Mount Ritchie wasn't listening or you know wasn't paying enough attention and I'm not trying to blame him for it because I don't know you know you don't know I mean that, that it's perfectly possible for that to happen but then you would think that the coaching staff should be able to see that pretty quickly as well um you know because that is their you know that is their job and there's enough of them to, to to sort of be watching and again it's that it is that feeling of slight sort of sloppiness or just yes. not enough instruction or that feeling of being ragged now if you look at Newcastle over the past couple of games they've lost a huge number of players to injuries it's not that this was a tactical change yeah. and and therefore, you know, there should be a clear tactical plan. It was like, oh God, another one's gone down, another one's gone down, another yeah. one's gone down. And so it's a very reactive um situation. And so there there's a bit you know, there is that sort of mitigation for that, that it's not like we're making a tactical change, so this is what we have to do. It's responding to something and then and then having to do it. So and that so that is less less easy, I guess, but you mm, know, they're in yeah. the Premier League. It's very rare that you hear a post-match interview like that, where the manager or head coach is being asked questions about not being able to pass details on effectively, I mean that doesn't happen very often.
3: Why was the free kick taken? I mean that was it was Newcastle who had the ball, so it was Newcastle had the opportunity not to. That's where I didn't understand. That that's where I think the players' sort of management maybe doesn't come through. Is to I know they were keen to get the game restarted, but you've basically brought that problem on yourself. If you just waited another ten seconds, fifteen seconds to make sure everyone knew where they were meant to be. And then they ended yeah. up giving the ball away. And I mean, it was interesting because in the aftermath of the goal, I saw Jamal LaSalle sort of shouting across. I thought at first he was shouting to the fourth official and then I realised he was shouting to the bench to try and find out what was meant to be going on. And it was just that sort of that confusion continued. And in his post-match interview afterwards, I mean, you saw that confusion again where he basically said, he's still going to go and find out exactly what had gone on. And that's, it. it, it is where I agree, it it, it, it was difficult because they were trying to change so much. But it, it begs the question, why why with one change Are you trying to maybe change the position of four players as well that seemed to me to be a, a big sort of change yeah. to make whereas you could have maybe got matt ritchie to initially go on it right wing back or whatever and then slightly change it it was it was a very big move albeit yes i know they're reacting and it's a difficult situation but it, it seemed a lot of information to try and deliver all at once to tell four players essentially to change positions
2: it did uh george given given everything else that that kind of went our way this weekend with other results and stuff like that has have the injuries and the the failure to close out the game left us feeling a bit more a bit more sort of despondent and down than we should be about this i mean it's still a point isn't it
1: well i mean i watched fulham the next day and that was kind of quite reassuring in the sense that they weren't you know they weren't brilliant i mean they've been on a fantastic fantastic run of form um, but Crystal Palace sort of did what Crystal Palace are capable of doing. I mean, they, um, you know, they're very difficult to play against. I mean, Fulham had a couple of great chances, but you know, that draw at least was reassuring because it kept the gap. It kept the gap there to three points. So that felt to me like the game that Fulham needed to win because they've now got Tottenham, Liverpool, Man City, and then Leeds. They've got a tough, you know, the, those first three games. Spurs, Liverpool, and Man City. It's going to be very, very difficult for them to get three points out of that. So the the other side of the argument about Newcastle. I mean, it's very difficult to see Newcastle winning games at the moment without their, you know, without their sort of attacking players, their most important pl- attacking players, who have, you know, who are responsible for so many uh, of their goals. On the other hand, it is still a chance. West Brom, Villa, Brighton, you know, gives them an opportunity. To, to pull ahead and to pull ahead of Brighton who were kind of right back in it now so it's not all doom and gloom at this point but I do feel that it feels like a massive game yes indeed it is um,
2: let's move on a little bit now we're going to go into our archives now and this week it is of course a Glenn Roder special
1: this episode is supported by season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' Small Town Welsh Football Club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? is Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu.
2: Sad news over the weekend, chaps. We learned of Glen Road passing. Uh, obviously, had been fighting ill health for a while. Uh, but I think without a doubt, we can call him a Southerner who was adopted as an honorary Geordie. Uh, a calm and classy footballer. And also a dignified and calm man in the dugout as Newcastle manager as well. And a great shame to hear of his passing over the weekend. Uh, it's come a little bit out of the blue, Chris, this one, didn't it? And I, I know we've kind of... Glenn's had problems over the years with, with ill health and stuff like that, but it kind of knocked the wind out of me a little bit, this.
3: Yeah, it did with me as well, and, and it did with, with some of his uh, former colleagues, his players, and, and, and also when he was manager at Newcastle. I know a lot of people who who weren't really sure of it. I spoke to John Anderson, for example, yesterday, and he didn't didn't know that, that, that Glenn had fallen in a, ill again. Obviously, he'd, be, he'd had initially mm. had the brain tumour, diagnosed in 2003 mm-hmm. and so it was basically nearly 18 years he, he, he'd he had this 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 issue but um i think he, he'd been dealing with it again for, for, for a relatively long period of time i actually spoke to him last summer we'll, we'll hear a clip of that, of that in a little bit and he didn't he didn't say to me either about how, how he'd been ill he was very gracious with his time he didn't do much media mm-hmm. in his last few years and i do wonder if that was because of of his illness but w- when i explained to him the piece that, that i spoke to him for was when george and i did a piece basically looking back at what it's like to manage Newcastle United and try to speak to as many Newcastle United managers as possible. He eventually agreed to do it. And when I spoke to him, just what came across was his just his affection for the club and his admiration for supporters. It was just, it, it really does come across. And you mentioned uh, sort of adopted Geordie, when he referred to himself as, as the Cockney Geordie, when he, when he was appointed manager <laughs> in a, in 2005 yeah. and he did see it that way. And he's someone who came from the outside and, and, and came here and he, and he absolutely adored his time and, at Newcastle, and he spoke about that. He just said that Newcastle fans are different, and I know that people roll their eyes from elsewhere if they look at it and say, "Oh, well, what, what, what do you mean by that?" But it, but he would he he said he compared it to the other clubs he was at. He compared it to, to QPR, and he said you'll have a few yeah. QPR fans who are really passionate, but there are that it, it isn't sort of their life. He said whereas well, you come up to Newcastle, that is that that is the the exception. Is is a Newcastle fan who's only partly interested? It's it, it's a life, and everyone would would chat to him about it, and we're obsessed with the club and wanted it to do well and he loved that and he and he absolutely loved the club and wanted it to, to fulfil its potential as much as possible, both as a as a player and as a manager. And he and he was he played a very important role during those times because in the eighties, I mean obviously it's before my time, I can't really speak of him as a player, but there was mm. so much off field trouble at that point as well. He was obviously for, for Paul Gascoigne, he was sort of his mentor to a certain degree. He was yes, the one who really yeah. helped Paul Gascoigne come along. And it was a time when Newcastle was selling all their sort of best players, the best youngsters, the likes of Waddle, uh, the likes of Gaza, Beardsley. All these players moved on and, and Rhoda was there as captain at a time when the club went down and then, and then had a difficult sort of spell. But he, he was an important off-field figure. And then when he came in in 2005, as we'll get onto in a bit, he obviously really did, as, as caretaker manager in particular, had a, had a massive impact.
2: He did. And I mean, George, I'm not sure what your memories are of Roder as a as a as a player, if you have much of a memory. I I was aware of him as a Newcastle player in the eighties, but I didn't I, obviously, I wasn't really old enough to 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 kind of watch the team at the time. Um, but he he was a, from what I've seen, he was a very classy player. He was a good, strong centre half. He he was comfortable on the ball, good in the air as well. And and you know, I he he did have a real affinity for the club, didn't he? And it seemed like the the people took him took him in and took them. To it was uh, took him to their hearts, should I say?
1: Yeah, yeah, I know. I do remember. I was a kind of early mid mid teen when he was a player at Newcastle, and obviously played in. Played in the same team as as Gaza and Beasley and Waddle and Keegan and and, think, and players like that and no the word classy is is exactly right I mean he was a classy fella um, but he loved he loved being on the ball and yeah the famous shuffle and the the famous shuffle and a really good player and yeah it 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 did become more difficult towards the towards the end in terms of the sort of turmoil that the club was going for and then you know that obviously that that time as manager too i mean particularly the um the six months when he came in also when he came in after graham sooners and not only steadied the ship to use that cliche but set newcastle on a incredible um run of form i mean in that you know to to the extent that it became impossible for the club not to appoint him and it was never their plan but he was so you know the form the form was so good that um yeah left them with sort of very little very little choice um and i've forgotten actually i've spoken to i've spoken to alan alan shearer today and i'd forgotten that he'd he actually made alan assistant manager and it was alan's last season as a player and alan had forgotten <laughs> alan had forgotten <laughs> but uh, but he so i sort of asked him today i sort of said what what did you actually do and he said he did very little really you know that initially he was to be his sort of eyes and ears really at the start, but that Glenn's first game of manager was the game that Shearer broke the record, um, Jackie Milburn's record and uh, Shearer's last game in football um, was against Sunderland. And, um, we'll obviously be talking about that a bit too so, so Glenn was and Alan said that he, he then sort of helped a bit more sort of directly after that because he, he was then injured at that point but um,
4: yeah
2: uh, We've got a, a, a clip from, uh, from Glenn Rodas playing days in black and white, uh, just have a little listen to this
4: And that will be the first corner of the game McDonald usually takes him, that's taken short Beardsley to Gascoigne Beardsley to the byline and the cross is good, and Rhoda's header is good too. It's in the back of the net anyway. Gary Walsh, perhaps disappointed not to have claimed that cross, but Glenn Roder, the Newcastle skipper, has put United ahead.
2: Wonderful stuff. Those old commentaries are great on there. And I mean, I know I'm saying old. It's not even that old, is it? It's the 80s, but it just sounds like a totally different era, doesn't it? Uh, United like
3: United as well, the... Newcastle United. I like, I like the reference to United as well. Yeah, exactly, yeah.
1: Newcastle United. We, we, We've watched that full clip. Actually, we should put it up. We should put it up when we uh, when the pod comes out, so people can watch themselves. There's a brilliant bit of proper old school football shithousery as well. Which is um, there's a proper reducer tackle um, by it's Norman Whiteside, isn't it? On Ando on yeah. John Anderson uh, over by the um, over by the wing, and Ando, you know, absolutely a hard man in his own right, goes down and stays down for a while, and clearly is in discomfort anyway gets on and carries on and uh, is limping across the field anyway whiteside's on the ball and peter jackson just goes flying in on him and it was like <laughs> yeah okay you got my mate there you go back and there's a proper you know there's a melee straight after that but it was that i love those sort of old-fashioned it was like no you got my mate i'm gonna get you back and uh, it was brilliant brilliant moment
2: Absolutely, well speaking about Glenn Roeder As well as the manager um, One of his most famous uh, moments As Newcastle manager The 4-1 win at the Stadium of Light Against Sunderland In the game that we were talking about Just a moment ago there Alan Shearer's uh, last game for the club as well Uh, What an afternoon that was Uh, 1-0 down, 4-1 up Albert Luque wraps it up Uh, Have a listen to this
4: Bramble for company Stead has done well He's got away from Bramble momentarily In by Whitehead Hoyt. Well, he started the move, didn't he, Justin Hoyt? And just look at the celebrations. Brilliant play. You'd have to say it's exactly what Sunderland have deserved. They've been the best side by far. So a striker for a midfielder. Understandable. Yeah, Glenn had to change things. So what they'll do is Kieran Daryl in into midfield. Fire will just try and protect the back four. They'll get... Oh, it's a mistake there and almost lets Chopper in and it has and Michael Chopra only on the field a matter of seconds horrible mistake at the back but full credit to Chopra he was alive and he has scored with his first touch 15 seconds Michael Chopra had been on the field before he scored that equaliser now it's a penalty for Newcastle United and it's been conceded by the Sunderland goal scorer in the first half Justin Hoyt and we are witnessing an extraordinary turnaround in this match Alan Shearer says as he gets older the feeling of scoring gets sweeter and sweeter and that will taste very nice indeed in his last weird time derby Alan Shearer has put Newcastle United in front two goals in what barely two minutes Newcastle fans with very little to shout about got plenty at the moment, here comes Nzogbier, great run! Oh, that's a wonderful goal from Charles Nzogbier. The 19-year-old sneaked through that Sunderland defence and found the bottom corner, 3-1 Newcastle. Better on by Enzogvia. Oh, and uh, two Sunderland defenders left it for one another. And there's a real chance to wrap it up now for Luque, and he's taken it. Awful Sunderland defending again, but for Newcastle this season, just gets better and better. Unbelievable turn round in the Weir time, derby. Well, you just see another example why Sunderland are relegated on 11 points. Absolutely atrocious defending.
2: Absolutely brilliant stuff there. That, that Charles and
1: Zogby goal was a beaut, wasn't it? I feel sick just listening to that I mean it's like I've got that sort of Derby feeling just like, the noise it's just brilliant I mean Lush, Sunderland that? but one of those you know Sunderland the stadium alike when it's like that it's like properly sort of oh my god the noise but you can just hear it Sunderland, i, I I I was there. I remember it vividly. Yeah. Sunderland were good in the first half, particularly as the commentator said there, you know, they they were already relegated on 11 points, but um mm. they were good in the first half and Newcastle weren't. They were really poor and Rhoda was not the kind of man to lose his shit, but he he did. He did at half time that yes. day. I remember he went absolutely ballistic and um it had it had an effect, but yeah, no Sunderland were Sunderland were kind of unfortunate to 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 even, to even be level. But, um, God, that noise, that's the thing that strikes me more than anything listening to that. Christ. Well,
3: when I spoke to Rhoda last summer, he, he said that was the game that he enjoyed most as managing Newcastle. Wow. He said, obviously, because he had the result in the end, but he, he said that, and he, and he said actually after the game, I remember, he talked about Kevin Ball, and Kevin Ball when. Sunderland scored. He celebrated massively. and was running up and down. And, and Rhoda obviously was renowned for being calm. He was renowned for being calm as a player. He, he gave mm-hmm. me a quote about how his teammates used to say there could be a bomb going off in the next to you in the in the, in the penalty area, and you would not panic. And he, he said he tried to be the same as a manager. He, <laughs> he, did, he wasn't expressive on the yeah, touchdown yeah, yeah. no, he, he was thought yeah. to be level headed. And he said that someone needed to tell Kevin Ball that the game doesn't last 30-odd minutes, A game lasts 90 minutes. And so by the end, obviously, Newcastle had come and won 4-1. And so I think he got immense satisfaction from that. And to lead Newcastle in a derby away from home at at, at Sunderland and win 4-1, he he was was still immensely proud of that, even up to last year.
1: I would, I would, I would just say Kevin Ball is someone who I know quite well. I've got to know, you know, over the over the years, and I would just put myself in his his shoes a little bit about how appalling <laughs> Sunderland had been and the job he had. Yeah. And so I think, you know, I think, I think that that game for them that day and for Kevin Ball it was all about pride. And so going, you know, going ahead like that, I'm sure was a sort of massive, massive thing for him. But anyway, whatever you know, whatever works for you as a manager or as a team to to motivate. To motivate you, but um, it did, and it didn't turn out to be a good day for Lanchura because that was the end of his career that day. hasn't kicked a ball since then, but not a bad way to bow out. I... He
3: exercised some demons, though, didn't he?
1: Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Can
3: I just yeah, yeah. touch upon the the run that they went on under Roda when he first? I mean, he took over, so I think Souness was sacked on the second of February two thousand and six. Newcastle were fifteenth, and they had, and 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 basically that they were they were in relegation trouble. And he and he, he took over and and their run was just absolutely that astonishing I mean they only lost three games and they were, they were all road together yeah. but they picked up um I'm, I've got to, they picked up 32 points in the last 15 matches and finished seventh it's just
2: ext- an absolutely it? extraordinary run that is ridiculous I remember the there was a game against Tottenham at, at White Hart Lane that we won was that I think it was um
3: three1 uh, <sighs> yeah sorry, was was that it,
2: the, it, it was the game that Paul Huntington scored absolute madness it was just there was some ridiculous uh ridiculous games and ridiculous results around that run and obviously glenn roda took us uh to intertoto glory uh something uh which he apparently now puts on his cv uh according to a, a conversation that he had with chris that's wrong from my cv sorry yes that is, that, is, <laughs> that is yes i'll tell you what
3: made me change
2: that i mean it doesn't exist anymore the toto but
4: they
3: put up um, Claudio Ranieri's um, CV on um, Sky many years ago, and then it was when I was in the Toto Cup. Um, and I thought, well, we did that at Newcastle, so I'm sticking it on mine now. Lovely stuff. <laughs> so he was—that was Scott that Parker's finest hour. <laughs> it was Scott Parker. Sorry, that was—it was funny because in that in that conversation, it was when we, it was it was it was for that piece looking at Sony Castle manager. And, and my question to him had been for a club that hasn't won a trophy since 1969 and he didn't like that trophy I <laughs> he, he, he went on to then add major trophy and he was, it, he was slab. Like it. it was it was he was I mean he was he was saying it in jest and it was obviously yeah. it was obviously a bit of a joke but 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 it, yeah so he was saying that was the reason why he, he put it onto his CV and I thought it was quite a, it' was quite a funny one but that, I mean the, end of the total cup run was uh, yeah you've got the famous pictures of Scott Parker looking yeah. face, like a smack backside when he's presented with it because it was the bizarre thing that Several teams would be in the Intertoto Cup. I think it was three or four teams would qualify from the Intertotal Cup into the UEFA Cup each year. And then the team who won it was the team who advanced subsequently furthest in the UEFA Cup. Yeah. And so Newcastle eventually got it for, for getting to the, to the last 16. But it did produce some wonderful memory. I mean, so it was another European run. And what, what, what Newcastle fans would give to, to have those days back of sort of travelling around Europe and, and, and oh, being yeah. in those competitions.
1: They had to fight. The club had to fight to get him appointed on a permanent contract as well because he didn't have the right coaching badges and so That's right. yeah, yeah, had to, he yeah you, you, so he had to sort of, I think as, if my memory serves I think he had to sort of do the pro license whatever it was whilst sort of whilst whilst doing the jobs but yeah they had to lobby they had to lobby the Premier League for him to get given the job and as I said earlier you know they they sort of had no choice by the end of that season it wasn't part of the plan that he would take over full-time but um, mm. the form that season was so extraordinary that um, it sort of left them with no choice.
2: Yes, well, there you go. A lot of great memories uh, and, a, and a wonderful man and a, a great club captain and manager for Newcastle United there, Glenn Roder, uh passing away at the age of 65 over the weekend.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime Day or night. Yep, you heard
3: it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game and more head over to com slash courtside to learn more
2: so let's move on chaps uh upcoming games we've got West Brom Villa and Brighton and we've got an awful lot of injuries at the minute Chris what what do you actually see uh, Newcastle doing over the next couple of weeks where the goal's going to come from what's the potential system in the 11 going to be and how the, how the hell do we figure this one out
3: well let me just say if you're listening to this podcast on Friday morning and Fulham have beaten Tottenham the night before then yes Newcastle are in the relegation zone and yes they are heading for the championship but hopefully that <laughs> isn't the case hopefully hopefully you're listening to this <laughs> oh, podcast lovely. on uh, on Thursday looking forward to that game and Spurs doing Newcastle United a favour but I think that, yeah, that, that Fulham game is huge because Newcastle for the first time could drop into the bottom three this season. It would be the first time since October 2019. And that then would change the dynamic for a start because they would then be chasing because they would have a worse goal difference than Fulham, albeit they'd have, they'd have the same yeah. number of points. And it would also change the dynamics of Steve Bruce because as George and I wrote in the piece we mentioned earlier, it's when Newcastle have dropped into the relegation zone towards the back end of a season that they have have, have made a change of manager previously. So that's when that could come mm. about. But in terms of West Brom on Sunday, it is massive. It's certainly a must not lose, but I, I would I would borderline say it's a must win because if they can't beat West Brom, who as I mentioned, who are they who are they going to start yeah. beating? Who are they who are they gonna win? But the, the issue is, and people look at it and say, Oh, you should beat West Brom, but why should Newcastle beat anyone at the moment? For the reasons that I mentioned earlier. It's not it's, its not as if they have any sort of form. It's not They couldn't beat the bottom of the table team away from home. They couldn't beat Wolves this weekend, who, who, who were poor. That they, they, they couldn't beat Crystal Palace. Unfortunately, I can't be overly optimistic and say that Newcastle will go yeah. in there and win, given all the injuries. And given the fact that 60% of their goals have, have been lost in Callum Wilson, Anzac Maxima and Miguel Almiron. Yeah. Only one other player has scored more than once in the league this season, and that's Jeff Hendrick, who's not even in the team at the moment, and he's not exactly yeah. a natural goal scorer. And then you go beyond that and you take the influence that those three have out of the team, not just their goals, but their assists, their link-up play, the fact that they are Alan saint you can just see terrorises the opposition just being on the pitch, they're worried about him. When you remove those elements... It, it it's going to be a very different Newcastle United team on Sunday. I think we're likely to see Dwight Gale and I'd like to see him through the middle rather than out on the right as he, as he, as he was at, at uh, Chelsea. The one positive I would say, if you're going to take it as a positive, would be that I thought Ryan Fraser made a difference second half against Wolves in that he's direct. He actually gets the ball at the box. And that's why you need Dwight Gale to be in the middle and to be in the box rather than out on the right. Because if you're going to play Ryan Fraser and tell him to get balls in the box, you want a striker in there who yeah, can actually finish 29. them. Joe Linton, we know that's not what he's going to bring. If he's going to be the third forward in that formation, he he can be the one who's slightly out wider. But it, those two, I mean, it, it become they become so crucial to, to Newcastle now. that the, the hopes for the next few weeks, at least, because it looks like... Newcastle released a statement this morning saying it's going to be April for Sam Maximan and Almiron. Actually, for Almiron, that is more of a positive. I think the initial reaction on Saturday night was they yeah, were worried it might be a season, season over yeah. because of because of his knee. So it looks like yeah. it's, his, I think it's his medial ligament. He's tweaked a little bit. Sam Maximan... I think but come back even sooner. Potentially, they won't want to take a risk on him because of the fact it's a, it's a muscle injury and he's had so many muscle injuries. But that one really isn't actually as bad. And I, and that one, yes, it probably won't be before the international break, but I could potentially see him being back just after that. But Newcastle have to navigate these next three games. I mean, their the, the ne- the next few matches, they certainly can't afford to lose against West Brom and Brighton, the two teams in and around them. But ideally, they need to win. Otherwise, it's going to become very much, even more so, squeaky bum time.
2: Well, George, West Brom will be looking at this game and thinking, you know, they're are only three, they they'll only be three points behind Fulham if they can get a win against Newcastle. They'll they'll be up for this. They'll fancy it, won't
1: they? Well, I mean, particularly after their sort of fairly extraordinary victory over over Brighton at the at the weekend. I mean, and they've, you know, they've put a. They put a little run of form together drawing with Man U and, and Burnley uh, before and then so yeah, you would yeah. think that they've got a lot of confidence and you just know with Sam Allardyce what he will be doing and that will be targeting Newcastle's weak spots. And unfortunately, with all the injuries they've got, they've you know, even if they didn't before, they have got a lot of weak spots. So that's pretty scary. But I mean, you know, I agree it's that's such a horrible thing saying, you know, they've lost these three you know, arguably their three most important, well, not even arguably, they've lost their three most important attacking players, but they have to find a way of getting positive results. So, and I think these, I do think these three games are massively crucial. So they can't lose them, um, and they've got to find a way of picking up points. And I'm, you know, I do have sympathy in the sense that I can't work out how they do that, um, because there are no kind of clear... You know there are there are no clear answers i again I agree with chris I think dwight Gale has to come back into it, and I think he will but um you know he's not there. he's he's not a sort of long term answer or hasn't been a long term answer at the club uh you know for for a while, so it's a tricky one. They've got to find a way i think you know these three games theoretically are an opportunity to put some distance and I say theoretically because you know Fulham could win their three games i think that's incredibly unlikely i think it's more likely that mm. fulham get nothing from from their next three games but we can't rely on that newcastle can't rely on that and so yeah it's it is worrying it's it's you know it's frightening it's frightening that in this month newcastle have said that that those players won't be back in april uh, until april well march is the month that they've got these quote unquote winnable games so that is it's a proper worry.
3: I mean, on, on Sunday, we could even see Christian Atsu in the squad, who which would be an incredible story. In to tell Because he basically was, wasn't was obviously, if the first half of the season was left out of the 25-man Premier League squad, was told to try and find another club, couldn't get a move away. Same in January, told to find another. And the only reason he was elevated in the 25-man squad was because DeAndre Edlin was sold. Newcastle couldn't sign the second player they wanted on transfer deadline day. And so they had a spare spot. And so because Christian Atsu was still here, they elevated him in the squad. He hasn't been seen since. He hasn't played, I think he's played once in the League Cup all season. So he hasn't played since since September. And yet if you look at the options they have, maybe he does come in the squad. I mean, Elliot Anderson is another yeah. who, who who may come back and he hasn't been on the bench last few games. Neither has Matty Longstaff. But as an actual sort of wide forward, Atsu may actually that you may actually get some game time in the coming weeks, which I, if you'd have asked me three or four yeah. months ago, I'd have said there's no chance he was gonna play for Newcastle United again. And
1: I I talked earlier about Newcastle forgetting how to defend. I mean I think I think this year, I think um, since the start of the year, they've concede, You know, if they if they concede a goal, chances are they'll concede two goals. I think they've conceded two goals or more in nine of their games since the turn of the year, possibly in all the competitions. But um, and so and they've kept one clean sheet, I think. So yep. you know that's a problem because if they're going to concede a goal, who's going to score? So and you know again to 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 come back to what I was saying earlier, they have found a way to get further up the pitch which is good because that's allowed them to get into a position to score goals mm-hmm. or to be more attacking or to give themselves more chances, but they're they're still open at the other end or they're still vulnerable at the other end. And now, once you've taken out that potency, or potency is the wrong word, bearing in mind that for all that they've been a lot better, Saint-Maximin, Almiron, their numbers still aren't very good, their stats still aren't very good. So, you know, but it's mm-hmm. there is potency there. If you remove that, do they still have that porousness at the back? And who scores goals? So it's... Yeah. It, oh, it's, like, it's like one of those little... Do you remember those little puzzles you had as a kid, those plastic puddle, puzzles, and you had to move round one little square to, wait, to try and make the <laughs> To get it up. into shape, yeah. To get, to the get the it into in, yeah. shape. It's sort of like that. You move something, and then it's like... It just, all that yeah. does is then give you another move. And I'm, I don't blame... Is that Steve your version sp- of
3: a Game Boy when you were young? George. Is that like the well,
1: equivalent yes, in the in the? In yes, the, in it the was, 90s. Chris, yes. <laughs> 1920s, okay. Well, yes, I, I, I had that and a hoop and a stick. That's what I had. I had a lump of coal. That's the one. Like, that was me little friend, lump, lump of coal. I,
2: I think it's safe to say, lad, lads, that the, the West Brom game is now pivotal. In fact, it could actually be double pivotal, couldn't it, Chris? Uh, no. So it's... <laughs> Uh, Anyway, let's wrap things up there with that and we're going to move on quickly because we're very short on time now. But we still have to get through the quiz. And this week, uh, it's a European special and we are live within the confines of the Bodega Pub in Uh, Westgate Road. A lovely bar. Let's just set the scene. It is uh, Wednesday night. It is post-European game. Uh, Newcastle have just gone down some Midland team from nowhere uh, and we're all wondering why the hell we bother but the quiz is here and it's time again to do the great newcastle united quiz uh it's a european quiz this week and i've got six questions three questions each plus a tiebreaker it's going to be quick fire it's going to be nice and snappy there isn't going to be any wow. bullshit penalty shootouts uh or anything like that it's just six wow. questions um you get a point if you get the question right you get Bugger all if you get it wrong. Starting with uh, heads or tails,
1: George? Mm, Tails, tails, never fails.
2: Uh it is a Tails. Do you want to go first or pass to Chris?
1: No, i better go first.
2: Come on in. Right.
1: I'll be brave. Unlike Here we Chris go.
2: European time. special quiz. Newcastle United's first foray back into Europe under Kevin Keegan was against Royal Antwerp in the UEFA Cup. Rob Lee famously scored a hat trick of headers in that game, but who else scored for Newcastle in the 5 0 win? And I need both names for you to get a point.
3: This is a very quick fire, this, George.
1: Say that you have to yeah, I mean, that was so quick fire, I can't even remember what you said. Royal Antwerp. So Rob Lee
2: scored call. a hat trick ahead of us against Antwerp in the UEFA Cup. Who else scored in the five nil win 24. for Newcastle?
1: Um Well, I'm gonna say Andy Cole. Oh, I've got to name two people, have I? Yep. Peter Beersley. <sighs>
2: uh that is an incorrect. That was my incorrect noise, by the way. Uh <laughs> It right. <laughs> wasn't just some kind of stomach in- in- issue. Uh, Chris, any ideas on the answer?
3: No, I don't know, So I,
1: I was there, by any the time.
2: Way. Uh, it was Steve Watson and
1: Scott Sellers were the other goal scorers. There we go. I can't I can't remember anything. This is... Po- why do I have to take part in here? I was there for the, both of those. I was there. Well, I was there. <laughs> right, Chris,
2: ready? Yep. Newcastle last played in the old format UEFA Cup before it became the Europa League in 2007. Which Spanish team did United face in the group stages?
3: Um, Celta Vigo. Correct.
2: Wonderful stuff. Celta Vigo, 1 0 to Chris. You knew that one, did you? I knew that. All right. Uh, Question number three George. Tough shit. Uh, who did Newcastle play in the playoff round to ensure qualification into the 2012 Europa League? I know
1: this one. I know this I one. Am, I was there for that. Um, <laughs> just can't and remember any of the. I do codes. know it. I do no no, I do know it. I do know. Do you know what? It was so hot. Mm. Where was it? it was Greece and it was um Atomitos. Correct answer, Traumatized. Well, one okay, more Can I, I have to tell you a very, very quick story It was so boiling hot, right It was, whenever it was in. So it was the summer And um, it was like about 100 degrees anyway Or 90 degrees anyway And the sun was shining into the bit of the stadium Where the press were And it was behind this massive glass window And so by the end of it By the end of this game Every single press man was topless In this uh, press area Typing away on our laptops Dripping with sweat um, it was really horrible. That was a lovely story. Thanks. Yeah. Okay, that, Thanks wasn't, that. A, wasn't really an anecdote. That wasn't really an anecdote, was it? Anyway, did <laughs> I get really. lost of some of the ding?
2: <laughs> anyway. um, Chris, your question. Yep. After getting through uh, the group round in that particular year, 2012, which team did United play in <laughs> the round of 32?
1: So easy.
3: Um... I was there so I think so? Was it Metalist Kharkiv or was that the next round?
2: Yeah. It was Metalist Kharkiv. Well done. That is that uh, what's done, the score man. now? Which
1: is that 2 1 to Chris? It is indeed. It is. I got really pissed in the hotel bar and told all my journalist colleagues that they were shit. <laughs> That sounds like the most George Culkin thing I've ever heard. Um, George, your question. Which
2: player has the most Champions League appearances for the club?
1: Oh, that's difficult.
2: Is it, George?
1: Um, yeah, I think that is difficult. Mm-hmm. Oh God! Quick fire, George. Quick fire. I know it is, but
2: <laughs> I need to think. We can edit this bit out. That's not how quick fire works. Yeah, you're gonna
1: have to. No, I don't know. Is it Shearer? Probably. Oh God, Shearer. <laughs> right. The answer was Sheer. Given. Sheer given. Yeah. what a second. There given. we go. Oh fucking hell! Uh, Sorry. Pardon me.
2: Right, George, I don't think you can win now. Chris, if you want to go for a clean sweep and make it 3-1. Behind Alan Shearer and Shola Amiobi, which player has scored the most goals (sighs) in Europe for Newcastle United? The third most goals in Europe.
3: Is this... um, Oh, what's it called? Uh I was gonna go for I was gonna no I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Peter Beardsley but I would have gone previous no, yeah I'm gonna go Peter Beardsley but I would have actually gone for uh, I'm think I'm thinking someone from the '69 team but no I'm gonna go for Peter
1: Beardsley. That's
2: incorrect. The answer is Craig Bellamy.
1: Yeah. I, mean, I was gonna what? say that you didn't give me the chance to say that. I could yeah, have said but it that. doesn't matter because you
2: don't get to steal the points here, do you, George? You've already lost. Beardsley, I don't. <laughs> I
1: don't think Beardsley scored very
2: many <laughs> European goals at all. Just a few, just a couple. Just a couple. Uh, there we go. The tiebreaker was going to be, how many games have Newcastle United won in all European competitions? That's the Champions League, UEFA Cup, Cup Winners' Cup and Fairs' Cup. What's your guesses, Chris? Well,
3: George gets to go first, because he was uh, he was Teal's, so... Oh, go on then. Doesn't matter, he's already lost. Seven, 72.
1: Uh I'm going to go Chris? for 43. It's 122. There you go. They've
3: 122 they
2: won 122 games. 122 games won, yeah? Bloody hell. All right. I'd have won that, then. <laughs> right. Okay, actually, do you know what? I think I've got that wrong. I think I that's think how many games that they've wrong. played. I think, I
4: think, I
2: think you <laughs> must have got that wrong, yeah. Doesn't matter. Made no difference to the end result. Chris the has won. The, the amount of games they've won? Um, I'll find Absolutely
1: out. <laughs> Makes me put the whole quiz in down, that. You're right. Yeah, you're right. Let's scrap it this but
3: week. Spe- speaking of quizzes, speaking what? of quizzes, there oh, yeah. is a quiz if you are listening to this before Friday, this the 5th of March at 7:30 p.m. that day, we do have an athletic quiz for subscribers uh, where you, you can do. Compete, raise money for Prostate UK and uh, basically show who's the most knowledgeable and the, the winner will go through to sort of a grand quiz master. Quiz. I don't really know what I'm trying to say there, but basically the the best quizzes from each team and each country because there's a Spanish quiz and a a, uh, German quiz and things like that. And George Corkin and I will be your host. So, George, do you you want to tell them about what the prize is?
1: Yes, we have a special signed retro Newcastle shirt signed by the legend that is Alan Shearer, who will also be making a halftime appearance in the quiz to regale us with funny stories and amusing anecdotes. I mean, he might not do that, but um, he will definitely be appearing.
3: So, if you want to to join the quiz, and also if you want to sign up for a free 30-day free trial with The Athletic, you can go to theathletic.com forward slash PCUK and register to play the quiz. That's theathletic.com forward slash PCUK, and I think you've got till 3pm on Friday to be able to sign up to join the quiz, which starts... At half seven,
2: I'll be joining in with that. I think as well. Uh, and I've just double checked. Newcastle have now played one hundred and twenty-two European matches in total, which doesn't include the dozen in the total cup games. An impressive record of sixty-seven wins, twenty-six draws, and only twenty-nine defeats. With one hundred and ninety-five oh, okay. goals scored and one hundred and sixteen conceded. Uh, that's a goal difference of plus seventy-nine. If you are keeping count. So no, I won that. You, did and you? I... Yes, I said seventy-two, wasn't
1: I? Yeah. But you'd already lost the quiz, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, but I would have also Uh, got Craig Craig Bellamy, which you interrupted on, and so I win 3-2 this week.
2: No, that's not how it works, George. You 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 played first. You could have passed the question to Chris, and you would have got the other questions. So stop sulking. I'm not sulking. Sort yourself out. (laughs) No, I'm not sulking. I'm not sulking. Ah, well, there we go. Are you are you quite done yet? Are you done, children? There we go, ladies and gents. Thanks for listening. Uh, Please remember to hit subscribe so that you don't miss any shows. Leave us a review uh, and a rating if you're feeling particularly generous. And we'll be back next time with another Pot in the Time. Cheers, chaps. Bye-bye.
3: an official partner of The Athletic.